Amen. How you guys doing today? You guys doing good? Man, uh, I don't know about you, but I am so excited to be here. I feel like that we're, it's the start of something new, and I'm excited to see what God's going to do here. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, uh, my name is Drew Lang. I'm actually the youth pastor of Golfside Church, and thank you. Thank you, random person. I love you. And first off, I want to say, if you have a youth student and you haven't checked out Golfside Youth, you need to do it. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, the students love it, which is what's important. Uh, if you are a parent, you don't have to come, which is awesome. Uh, it is students only 12 to 18. Uh, so last week, uh, Paul started a message called Reclaim the Table, and he deposited an idea that I think is really important and that I think is lost in our culture, and that is that at dinner time, instead of using it for food, we start spiritual conversations, and we also allow a greater understanding of who we are as a community to start there. In other terms, we talk about Jesus at the dinner table. And he asked me, to speak the next week, and I was so excited, so I, I, I get ready. I'm like, yo, I'm so ready to do this. Let's go, because I have a lot of energy as a person, so I'm just getting ready, and as I'm writing this, I'm letting you guys know, I felt that God was heavily convicting me, and instead of focusing on what you guys need to do, he started with me first. What do I need to change? What do I need to work on? How can I improve as a person? Where can I grow? So I'm just letting you know, first and foremost, right now, as much as I'm speaking to Golfside Church as, as a group, I'm speaking to me first and foremost, because this is something that I really need to work on. This is something that I really need to improve on. And I think that as a church, if we can start to understand this, we can start growing in ways that we never expected. So I'm so excited for today. Are you guys ready for this? Man, I feel like I'm the only one that's actually like hyper in the room. So are you guys ready for this? You're getting a little bit of the youth treatment here. So let's get started. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for this opportunity. And, and Lord, I hope that I do not take it lightly. Uh, I, I want to honor the person that has given me this platform for today. So Lord, I pray that you bless us, that these are not just my words, but that you use this time to grow us. Amen. Now, extrovert lesson 101 I know, like, I, I'm an extrovert, I love talking to people, but let's all agree, invitating, inviting, or like in bringing people to your place, a little bit weird. Okay, I had to work a little bit in sales, and when I started in sales, I had to first get over the idea that I'm talking to a random person that I've never met before, and I gotta convince them something and believe it myself. Like, a little bit awkward, as much as I like talking to people, I don't necessarily like doing that. But let me ask you a question, have you ever invited someone, and then you realized, it's the wrong person. Or maybe you sent a text like to your parents, and, or maybe it's a heated text to someone that like, got you a little bit angry, and you realize, oh, you just sent that to your wife. Or you just sent that to your best friend. Now, usually they're very small inconveniences, but could you imagine someone getting this wrong so badly that they actually invite a random stranger to Thanksgiving? <laughs> Let me tell you, that's not a joke. That actually happened. In 2016, a lady named Wanda Dench, she texted her grandson saying, hey, are you ready to come over for dinner? Turns out it wasn't her grandson. It was actually a guy named Jamal Hinton that was local. And the guy, a little bit cheekily, he said, you're not my grandma, but can I still get a plate? And the grandma's response is, of course you can. That's what grandmas are for. Now, let's take one second. I like talking to random people and I'm completely fine with doing it, I would never do that. 
not, I would probably say yes, but I probably wouldn't follow through. But this couple actually did it. This random man that they've never met before walked into Thanksgiving dinner with them. And after a four-hour conversation, they invited him for next year, and the next year, and the next year. It is 2020, and this year they're expected to bring him, his entire family, and his girlfriend. Isn't it funny how an invitation can change a situation? Isn't it funny how when you start something and you open yourself up to a relationship, God can work? So that's what we're talking about today. So let's get invited into the scripture. Today we're talking about the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. In staff meeting, when I was trying to explain the story, I accidentally said Lazarus. Two completely different stories, so my bad. So it's the story of Zacchaeus. It's in Luke 19. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties, so we do not have it on the screen today, uh, but I'm reading from the NLT version. Uh, The story of Zacchaeus, Luke 19, 1 through 10. And it goes like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, listen to this, this is powerful. Look, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I cheat anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, in Christendom, in our church culture, we just focus on that last verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. It could almost be like a song. And that's powerful. And and there's some importance in that. But if you mix the context of everything, you're missing the bigger deal. There's so much more in this story than just the fact that God came to seek and save the lost. So let me give some to you, okay? Judea at this time is not self-ruled. They are a protectorate or a providence under the Roman Empire. And the way the Roman Empire worked is this. They would promote someone to run the providence, and that person would promote people among their group called tax collectors. Now, that we all know what tax is. Like, there's only three things in life that are guaranteed. Life, death, and taxes. They all, they're all going to get you sooner or later. We all know taxes. But if you don't understand taxes in this context, oh man, like if, if taxes were how it is then as it is today, we'd be so mad. Here's why. A tax collector, if he raised more than the amount that was required of the person, he keeps profit. So let me give an example. Let's say I'm a tax collector and you owe $100. I could go up to you and say you actually owe $1,000. Now, mind you, most of these people don't have the money or the resources to fight this, this lying, this legality. And not only that, but if you disagree with the tax collector, you'll be thrown in jail. So you have to pay the $1,000 to the man, and he keeps $900. Straight profit. Now, if we're talking about injustice, like, I don't know about you guys, but no one's taking my money. And I could not imagine if someone, one of my own neighbors, one of my own blood, Sometimes a family member profiting and lying and taking all the reward. 
Like, if we're talking about someone that deserves judgment, deserves sin, this is the guy. If we're talking about someone that does not deserve righteousness because he's evil, this is the guy. If we're talking about someone that knows he's doing wrong, he even mentions it later in verse 8. If I've stolen, if I've cheated anyone out, he knows that he's done that. This is not a situation where someone accidentally walks into an issue. Oh, no, 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 no. They willingly steal. It's one thing to get caught in sin. It's another thing to give up your homeland, your country, your neighbors, throwing your friends in jail for a little profit. They're two different things. So this was Zacchaeus, and he's not just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. He's really good at his job, and he runs the organization in that area. So this is just not a man that stumbles into sin. I think it would be one thing if he's stealing from people, and it's actually he's really poor and he needs it. Oh, no, no, no. He's insanely wealthy because of his theft. Now, take a moment. What would you do if you had to confront a guy like that? Who willingly and knowingly steals from his own neighbor, and it seems like everything goes right for him. Now, someone like this, I wouldn't necessarily assume would be desperate. I wouldn't think that there would be anything wrong in their life. In fact, I think their life would be very cozy. But the weird thing about the story of Zacchaeus is that even with all the wealth, even with the job position security that he does, because very few people want to do it, and he can easily rise up in the ranks, even though the fact that he gave up his friends and his family for a profit, he realized that there's something more in life. And he chose to find someone who calls you to give up everything to follow him. Why would he do that? So I have three points tonight. I think that if we apply these three points to our spiritual life, we're going to see an outgrowth in ways that we never experienced. The first one is insatiable. What does that mean? Insatiable. No, seriously. Uh, What does insatiable mean? It means that there is a desire within us. Every human being has this from the moment that they're born to the moment that they die. From the moment that they have their first breath to when it's their last they realize that there is something missing in their life, and most of us try to fill that hole with something else. Work, money, relationships, addictions. We try to fill that hole with something else, and I think it's very ironic that a man like Zacchaeus, who has everything and needs nothing else, realizes that his life isn't fulfilled and he needs something greater. I think there's a quote by C.S. Lewis that says this very well. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we are made for another world. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we are made for another world. Verse 3, he wanted to see Jesus who was walking through, but he was short and could not see. So he he ran and climbed a sycamore fig tree. Now, it's one thing to climb a tree when you're in gym shorts and a nice athletic Nike shirt. It's a completely other thing when you're wearing a tunic like this guy. So he's he's not climbing this tree, and, like, everything's very visible. Like, it is disgraceful, too. 
Not only are you being embarrassed because you're short, and in this culture, that's a big deal, but secondly, you're so driven. You're so driven that you would disgrace yourself by lifting your tunic and rising on a sycamore fig tree, which especially someone like a tax collector would never do. Why would he do that? he realized that there is something inside him that needs to be filled. And his conclusion was, it's only Jesus that can fulfill it. Is that your conclusion today? Now, here's the real question. Is that your friend's conclusion? Is that your neighbor's conclusion? Do do they realize that there is a desire within them and only Jesus can fulfill it? And then this is where, like, this got personal to me. What have I done about that? You see, even though I'm a pastor, I have people all around me that could experience the joy of Jesus and have never done that before. What am I doing about that? How am I helping? So I I wanted to, like, play with toys while I was on stage. So I got this little thing right here, and you guys have seen this before. Uh, Here, loud noise. You know what this is, right? Like, oh, it's very simple. You put the triangle in, in the triangle, and you put the square in the, makes sense. Like, we all have seen this. If you are a parent and you have kids, you probably have bought one of these things or a variation of this. And you know, the funny thing recently is I actually was uh, house-sitting for like 30 minutes for a mom, and she has a two-year-old. And the two-year-old has something like this. It was actually like a puzzle. We we gave it to the two-year-old. And the two-year-old's having so much fun. He's like, I think this goes there. He's not talking. He's a two-year-old. But he's like, And he just looks at me as if, like, it's supposed to go there. And I'm like, no, little man, you, you got to, like, move it right here. And he's like, okay. And he just keeps looking at me. And so I have to literally get his hand and move it to the right hole. And then he's like, oh, my gosh. He, his eyes light up. He realizes it fits. Whoa. It's funny, they make it that fits. Oftentimes, we know people in our life that realize that they have a hole in their heart and they try to fill it with their job, they try to fill it with their money, they try to fill it with the relationships, and we understand that the only thing that can fill it is Jesus. What have we done about that? What have we done about that? What have I done? What have I done? Are you showing your friends and neighbors that there's a hole in their life that only Jesus can fill? Are you showing your friends and neighbors that no matter how crazy it gets, God is the only thing that sustains through every storm, through every tragedy? What are you doing? What am I doing? And I understand, like, trust me, it's hard. You know, living the life for Christ fully, it sounds simple, but it's pretty difficult. And being available when it matters is usually really inconvenient. So funny enough, my second word is inconvenient. Because just newsflash, following Jesus is not always the most comfortable thing. As an extrovert, I love hanging out with people. One of the things I do not want to do is after going home from a long day of talking to people is talk to more people. (laughs) One thing I do not want to do after working really long hours is to entertain people that may or may not like me. Like, it's just something I don't necessarily want to do. I want to get home, I want to be lazy, and I want to turn on my TV and play some video games and go for some Final Fantasy, because I can do that because I'm a man. 
Thank you. And I get into these moments where I ask myself, do I want to please myself or do I want to make myself available for an opportunity? And I, maybe you're like me. Oftentimes I realize that I, I choose selfishness over selflessness. In verse 1, it says Jesus was entering Jericho and he was passing through. Mind you, the route that Jesus was going was not necessarily the route that he should have gone. He purposely went through Jericho. He took a detour. He didn't have to do that. And in fact, someone like Jesus, a rabbi, to talk to a sinner, let alone a chief of sinners like Zacchaeus, highly not likely. But Jesus chose to go out of his way to help someone that needed it and recognize that there's something more. Will you be inconvenienced by the gospel or will you be ineffective for the gospel? Maybe you're like me. I realize that oftentimes I'm ineffective for the gospel because I want to be selfish. Now, I'm not saying, like, you can't have free time. Please don't hear that. I'm not saying that you need to be working every second of every day. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is we need to be open and able to see the possibilities of relationship. And that for some of us, that starts with the dinner table, inviting people over to your house. Oftentimes, I don't want to do that. And I want to get home and relax. And I just want things to fit in my schedule so neatly. I'm just going to let you know, the call of God doesn't always fit on your schedule. But when you make room for it, the reward is always worth it. Every time. Let me give a personal story. So this was around third, fourth, fifth grade. I, I actually forget the exact year. But uh, it was Christmas time. And my parents come to me a couple days beforehand, and they're like, hey, Drew, just letting you know, we're going to have an old man in our Christmas dinner. I'm like, are we eating the old man in our Christmas? And then I realize, no, he's coming over to, like, eat dinner with us. I'm like, oh, is this my cousin? Is this my uncle? Is it Santa? Am I having Santa for Christmas? Santa didn't come. Kind of disappointed about that. This old guy walked in. Now, I've never met him before in my life. My sister's never met him before in my life. And my parents go up to him, and they're like, what's up? They don't actually talk like me, so they didn't actually say what's up. They're like, hi, but, you know, I say what's up. And they're having a conversation with this guy, and we, get, we start to sit down to eat. And in my mind, I'm like, why are you even here? Like, <laughs> I've never met you before. Who are you? What, how does this apply in, in this thing, you know? And he... He keeps talking with my parents, and my parents are starting a conversation. I'm like, I don't necessarily need to talk to this guy. Like, he doesn't matter. Why is he here? Isn't Christmas about us? Isn't the holidays about what we can get out of it? Turns out it's not. <laughs> so the night was continued going. He had dinner. He had dessert. And then uh, the Lang family tradition is to sit down, watch football, and pass out in a food coma. And I love that tradition. But before we entered that food coma, he looks up and he says, I'm so thankful that someone invited me because I would have been alone this Christmas season. I found out the day after his wife died last year. And I'm trying not to like tear up when I say this, but I was so selfish to think that God didn't have something greater for my season. 
and the simple act of inviting him to a dinner on a holiday that's supposed to be about community literally helped him through the season. I know the season's coming up, and we have a tendency to make it all about us and what we can get in the new TV that we really want and all the Christmas gifts that will be under the, the Christmas tree because we just really love giving. I just want to let you know, if we spend so much money but we forget about the people around us, is it really worth it? Have we fully given our best in the season? And, and truthfully, I haven't done that well. So I realized something, that an invitation can change a situation. An invitation can change a situation. Let me say that one more time just for us to get it. An invitation can change a situation. Will you invite someone? Will you allow that situation to happen? And look, it's not going to be easy. It never really fits in our schedule. And truthfully, sometimes people don't want to do it. You know, people don't want to come to our house. People don't want to have a relationship with us. So my third word, to counter that thought, is insistent. And here's why. Picture this for a second. Listen to this verse and how Jesus does this. And ask yourself, would you do this? Because I definitely would not. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and, and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. This man invited himself to someone else's house. Let me just tell you this. If I went up to one of you and said, hi, I'm going to eat dinner tonight. Let's get ready. You better cook something good. I guarantee all of you would probably say, nope. <laughs> and rightfully so, because that's a little bit weird. Jesus chose to be a little bit abrasive, to be insistent, because he was so desperate for a relationship with this person. He chose to break social norms. A rabbi was never supposed to meet with a sinner, a chief of sinners. He was definitely not supposed to eat with him. That is the most taboo of taboos in this culture. Maybe you could think of some that relate. But instead of choosing to work through taboos, he decided to make something new. And he chose to be insistent for a relationship. You see, I'm just going to let you know, Sometimes people need Jesus, and they don't always realize it. And it's the simple act of you constantly being there for them, whether they want you to be there for, for them or not, will change their life. I understand that as a youth pastor. Generally, students don't want an older 24-year-old guy telling them what to do with their life. Generally, that's true. But when they realize that I'm not there because they're a number in my seat, but I'm there because they're a soul and they matter, it changes their life. And whether they leave my youth ministry or they stay, I know that I'm doing my part. What's your part? How will you be insistent to the people that matter? Let me put it like this. About a month and a half ago, Ray Ray came up to me, my wife. Her name's Audrey but I call her Ray Ray. That's my wife. Uh, she's pretty awesome. I got really lucky on there. Uh, she came up to me, and she's like, Drew, I know that we have a chihuahua, but we desperately need a Pomeranian. And I feel it, it's the call of God on our life to get this cute member for our family. Now, mind you, I don't like dogs. So, so I looked at her, and I'm like, no, definitely no. We are not getting this dog. So the next day, we got the dog, and I learned something very important that day, that when my wife wants something, it's going to happen probably. When she's insistent, 
she'll make things happen. I'm afraid that I have put insistence on the wrong things in my life, where I've desired the wrong things, and I've been so forceful for something small and temporary like a dog, and I haven't applied the same pressure to my own spiritual walk or my friends or my family or my neighbors. Will you be insistent that you won't take no for an answer? Now, don't be weird. Like, be civil. But I know that when we want something, we can drive after it. When we show true love to someone, it's just different. Can you show love to someone that you don't believe the same? Can you show love to someone on the other side of the aisle? Can you show someone who lost or won? Can you show love to someone that doesn't believe like you? Can you show love to someone that doesn't have the same religion as you, that doesn't have the same orientation as you? Can you show love and be there and be available? God doesn't ask you to necessarily approve of everything they've done. He asks you to be available. I'm just letting you know, like, it's really hard for me to do that because there's sometimes where I just want to go home and sit on the couch and play a video game when God has given me opportunities. Choose to look for these opportunities because they're there. They're available. But it starts with you choosing to look for them. Don't catch this. Uh, Don't miss this. You should catch this. This is important. (laughs) Do you know what the name Zacchaeus means? Does not mean that weird sound that just happened. The name Zacchaeus means pure one. Pure one. And Zacchaeus was anything but pure. In fact, there's a a philosopher named Trapp who said this. He should have been, by his name, a Puritan, but he was an arch-publican, a public sinner, not simple but subtle, a gripping extortioner, a rich but wretched sypocrat. This man does not deserve his name, but the crazy thing about it is that when Jesus has the interaction with him, he doesn't call him by what he does, but he calls him by who he is. He doesn't say, you tax collector. He says, pure one. Have we gotten so focused on what people do that we don't see in the way that God sees them? When you invite people to your house, I understand, like, ministry is a little bit messy when you're doing it in the right way because broken people, broken people break people. Hurting people hurt people. But I want you to understand this. Don't see them for necessarily what they do. See them for how God sees them. Be open to the opportunity because it's there. It's there. Will you be available? So what do I mean by all this? I think Philippians 2, 4 says it very well. Rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking for your own interests, but each of you look to the interests of others. I think another verse says it very well, and it's actually the very last verse of this scripture. I said it before, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Ben, you can come on up. So, I want you to understand that the, a person's response to your invitation might not be what you expect. But God's not calling you to save the person. He's calling you to be available. So, will you be available? What's the challenge today? It's very simple. Last week, Paul challenged you to have spiritual conversations at the dinner table. And I don't know about you, but I started doing that, and I, I thought it was really fruitful. I, I could tell that like, there was something that was, we were getting out of it. This week's going to be a bit harder. This week, we challenge you to invite someone to have dinner with you that's normally not your normal invite, 
that maybe is still in your uh, sphere of influence but isn't someone that you would normally hang out with. I'm just going to let you know it's going to be a little bit messy. It's going to be a bit difficult. It's not always going to be easy. But when you realize that people have an insatiable desire inside them, when you choose to be inconvenienced by the gospel and when you're insistent on God's love for them, anything can happen. In this story, the very act of Jesus going to his house changed Zacchaeus' life and his response was that he would give all half of what he owns to the poor and anyone that he cheated back, he would give four times the amount. If we as Golfside Church, every single family chose to bring one person into their life, have one single dinner, imagine what God can do with that. It only takes a step. Will you be available? I know for me, after thinking about all of this, I have some things I need to work on myself. So I want to challenge you with one last thing. About uh, our, our first month into marriage, uh, Ray Ray comes up to me and she says that she wants to invite someone over to our house. Now, I'm usually kind of fine with this, but this was an incredibly long week. And sometimes weeks in ministry are really long. And the day that she was supposed to come, I'm not going to necessarily say her name, I was so exhausted from the week, and I literally was just coming home just so I could clean my house and, like, entertain someone that I've never met before in my entire life. Now, I know this may be shocking to some of you, but I don't necessarily like doing that. It's not my normal output. And I, I sat on the couch right beforehand. I turned on my phone. I kind of realized, like, Drew, just get your act together and, and, and give yourself wholly 100% to this one person. So I put the phone down, started cleaning uh, us together, and this lady came in. And mind you, I've never met her before in my life. And the conversations that we had that night were some of the best conversations I've ever had in any dinner. It was absolutely incredible. We talked about everything from life, job, relationships to Jesus. She was already Christian. But it really took a step of me to like just invite her to our house. And I was so blessed by the conversation that we have since then booked her every single month. And after this long week of just prepping to get everything here, she was actually supposed to come last night. And once again, I, I just felt that urge, like, I do not want her here. Like, I just want to rest. I need some sleep. I've, I haven't seen my wife in a long time. I, I just really want to talk to her. And I said, you know what? Put the selfishness aside. Be available. And once again, it was an incredible night all because I decided to take the opportunity that was in front of me. So today, we're challenging you to do something a bit different and radical in your life that's going to be a little bit hard. May we never be a church that was said that we had the opportunity but said no. May we never be a church that had a moment to change Cape Coral but decided it was too uncomfortable. May we never be a church that chose to be selfish over selfless. But may, be, may the only thing that people know of Golfside is that those people give and give, and my life was saved because of Golfside. May we be that church. Who knows? You might actually get a very unlucky invitation with someone that never was supposed to be at your place. Let that one simple act change their life. So what will you do? What will you do? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I... Uh, 
I, I thank you for this word. And in, in, in this whole sermon, all, all I see is like, man, I, I could have had an opportunity here, but Lord, I just pray that we may see our mistakes, but that you encourage us to see what can come ahead, that you encourage us to see the opportunities and that we take them, that when we invite people to dinner, it's not just a meal, it's a life-changing conversation, and that we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us. Oh God, I, I thank you for what you've done, but Lord, I know that there is greater that is about to come. So Lord, use us in this moment. Amen.